The Triathlon Show 345. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Jacob Tipper. This is part two of my interview with Jacob. Uh, remember last week we had part one where we talked uh, in detail about uh, the, what went on behind the scenes at the sub seven, sub eight project and in particular in Jacob's team, which Jacob put together to uh to set a blazing fast uh, three hour 16 minute bike time uh, leading joe skipper uh, to his sub uh, sub seven attempt and well successful attempt before we get into this uh, part two of the interview with jacob which will this time be more general about training and coaching a uh, big thanks to our sponsors roca when roca got started in 2011 uh, the challenge they set out to solve was to create the world's fastest wetsuit and uh, the result of that in its current iteration is the maverick x2 wet- wetsuit their flagship model in 2021 they set themselves a different challenge which was to take the extremely high standards uh, they had se- they had set themselves in the creation of the maverick x2 take its key features and create a very budget-friendly w- wetsuit that doesn't compromise the high standards and incorporates as much as possible of the key features of the flagship model the result of that was the maverick wetsuit which at 275 us dollars is an entry-level option price-wise but in terms of quality uh, it uh, plays way higher than the entry-level leagues with top quality engineering design and materials classic features such as the arms of technology patented centerline buoyancy for better and snappier rotation yanamoto neoprene quick release ankles and more you can read all about the maverick on roca.com and visit roca.com forward slash tts for 20 percent off your entire roca order and thank you to zenate the zenate indoor swim trainer is a one-of-a-kind swim bench that helps you improve your technique for an early catch maximize your propulsion for a more powerful stroke and stay consistent by doing swim workouts at home even when you can't make it to the pool or to the open water the Senate Swim Trainer is available in the UK, EU and the US with free shipping in both the UK and US. It is very affordable, similar to a pair of running shoes and best of all, the investment is risk-free. If you're not in love with the Senate Trainer after two weeks of using it and their free program, you can send it back and get a full refund. Learn more and get a 20% discount on your Swim Trainer on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now without any further ado, let's get into part two of my interview with Jacob Tipper. All right, so let's uh, uh, discuss, uh, I think we've already transitioned into it a little bit, but specifically around, or generally around coaching and training. So you mentioned uh, your coaching background. Uh, can, you, can you talk more about, your, uh, about that a little bit with all the different modalities within, within cycling and, and triathlon, uh, what, yeah, what, what your coaching has been like in your career so far? Yeah, so it's been, I, I think the freedom of kind of coming into this as a sports scientist as much as just being a cyclist, it does give you that ability to transfer modalities and to have, you know, a fairly good co- comprehensive understanding of dis- different disciplines and break down how they work. Um, I'm not going to try and coach a downhill mountain biker on how to go down mountain because that's a, that's a little bit beyond me. But, um, you know, if, if when the coaches have come from just, say, just being a road background or just a, tra- a time trial background or 
whatever, then it's obviously not as easy to transfer it across the different sports. Whereas when you have that background and understanding, like underpinning from the sports science, then it gives that it gives that a bit more freedom to be able to kind of approach different sports and stuff. So yeah, I've worked, like, I've worked with a, a wide variety of cyclocross riders. Um, Hannah Payton, who was an international GB cyclocross rider, was one of the first athletes I worked with. Um, Richard Bussell was a national hill climb champion and time trial champion while, uh, under the time that I coached him. And then more recently, um, like Dan Bigham and Ben Healy being the two main ones. And again, that, the outlet, again, two very different, different types of athletes and the way that they work and the way that, um, they perform. You know, with Dan, we have this, you know, we have this fun problem solving with, um, the out with his hour record and all the different ways we can do it and approach it. And we've got like, you know, we've got like a, a bit of a group chat where there's like Medi Cordy and Johnny Whale. And we just kind of, we just pull out these ideas on, you know, how much quicker can Dan go and where else can we find these gains and what else can we do differently? And it's, you know, and you know, like this is like, this is almost our hobby as much as it is anything else. We just have this group chat where we can just like pull out all these and any ideas and, 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 you know, and, like, and we take the mick out of each other if it's a bad idea and we like, celebrate each other if it's a good idea and yeah i think that, that that's a, a really cool way of doing it i think having other coaches or friends or people involved in the science and yeah I, th- I think that's like a good way of doing it you know you can go and like you can critique stuff a lot more you know i think like we all listen to a few of the podcasts and if there's someone that we come on that we don't really like or we, or we didn't agree with it you know we can kind of have this good critique of oh well why were they saying that i didn't agree with that and it's good to be able to just talk about these things and um and have those people to help to help kind of improve my own coaching and like challenge challenge me and, and and to be honest, I listen to a lot of these podcasts and a lot of these um you know there's like yourself and fast talk and stuff and to be honest it's not like I'm I'm, I'm not a set I'm not saying I'm like some super coach and I I, I disagree with what everyone says on there but as much as as much stuff as there is that I listen and I go oh that's interesting as much there's also as much stuff that I actually disagree with or I don't like on there. But I think that's really important to hear because that challenges your thoughts and your beliefs. And then that probably, I almost research something more if it's not what I believe in. If I believe in it, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I've read enough on that. I know I, I, I believe that to be the case as well. I probably do less reading on it. Whereas when someone comes in with a thought or process that, you know, if it's around polarized or pyramidal training, or oh, I think they should be doing this, that or the other, that's actually when I think, oh, I don't agree with that. And then that's when I can get, kind of go away, research it more and get more of an understanding. And sometimes I, I still think, yep, yeah, I don't agree what they were saying. And other times it's, um, it kind of can help open my eyes a little bit more, but I think, yeah, definitely being, I, I, I think like, doing this with mate, mates where you can be more like have more of a critique and stuff, you know, we'll listen to, listen to some of these podcasts and be like, oh, do you so? And so he was, a uh, yeah, did not agree with that or whatever. I think that's quite a, quite a good fun way of doing it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I've helped. Yeah. I think that's kind of how my coaching's kind of gone on to looking at these different things, different disciplines and different ways of doing things that it's all just this big, really coaching is this big experiment where you've got all these athletes and you're ultimately just constantly trying to work out the best way for that individual athlete to improve. And I think that's one of the really big things. And, and that it's definitely something that you kind of get with experiences learning with which athletes deal with different things in different ways and it's you know every athlete is, is ultimately a big science experiment and you know as, as much as you can have this you know the regular the debate with everything with everything now seems to be in sports science is polarized or pyramidal training and oh, well how do we how do we define where those different things start and what but it, it's also about what works for different athletes like there, there is still a case of i've got some athletes that I do not know why they they adapt to certain stimulus. Like there's not papers that suggest they do, but they do, and you can, and you cannot ignore that. They just love going and doing a certain type of training modality that I don't normally set for everyone else, but they clearly adapt super well to it. You see their numbers go up, you see the training go. Like you know, it 
the results go up, everything improves. You're like, I don't know why that's happening, but you've got to roll with it and you've got to say like, you know, and that, it's not so I then don't try the stuff and just, you know, I, I do. But um, I think that's the fun part is you have this understanding of, of all these different things that can make an athlete faster and you work out how to apply them to an athlete and and and, and working out the, the, the best way to make them go fast given all the circumstances that they've got on available. And that's the, that's the really important thing because, you know, a lot, still a, the majority of people I coach aren't just, well, even, even Dan again, that's probably one of the reasons why I do work well with Dan is because he's not a normal full-time athlete. He's not got unlimited, he's not got unlimited hours. He's flying off to Andorra or to Switzerland or to, you know, he's now on Ineos camps. Um, and actually that problem solving, it's, it's not what's the best, what's the best one week training you can have six weeks out from an hour record. It's not that it's, it's what it, it's the best weeks training given what we know about Dan what he likes what he doesn't like what he goes well off what he doesn't go well off given the fact that he's flying here he's got a wedding there he's got a meeting at 10 o'clock on that day what's the best week that we can do for his circumstance and I mean and again he's probably one of the easier ones because as soon as you throw wife kids dog walking into it that pretty makes things even harder so again it's not just what's the best weeks training according to some study done with East African runners it's what's the best you know, it's what's the best modalities that we can work for someone that has got all these other things going on and can only afford a set amount of time. And, and there's, there's rules that I'll try and apply. There's things that I know generally work and work for most people. And, you know, like, I, I don't know, like no one gets high intensities seven days a week or anything like that. You know, it's it's still relatively normal, but it's still always about tweaking it and that nuance to making sure it works for individual people. And I think as an individual listening to this, it's also important to remember that for yourself that, you know, you may have opportunities to do things that work really well for you. You may find that Thursday night chain gang, just, you love it. It's with your mates. It gives you mental freedom to do it and to enjoy it. And you just, you just know, you know, like you sometimes just know that that is a session that works really well for you. And, you know, that, that might not be characterized in a single training study. I've not ever really seen the effects of chain gangs on training performance. That's not, that's literally, yeah, not percent sure. I've, yeah. There's not a study on that, but if that works really well for you and you know, that works well for you, then you don't need to say, oh, but according to, this model or this sports scientist, I shouldn't be doing that. You still have to listen to you and make sure that it's the best that you can, you know, like listen to the science, listen to stuff, but apply that the best you can to your unique circumstances because you are not, you are not the same. You are not necessarily a Norwegian cross country skier that is full time. You know, you are, you know, you are Dave, you live in Scunthorpe, you have four days a week to train. Like that is you, that's all you can do. So you have to work it the best around what works for you and just apply kind of, apply just a scientific mindset to that of I apply this stimulus do I improve yes or no um and just as long as you're doing that and you're trying to optimize whatever you are doing then I don't think you can go too far wrong with that yeah I think you raised many great points there I think the scientific mindset and uh, thinking about it as an experiment and but yeah obviously then you you need to be uh, as a coach or as an athlete accountable for uh, actually making sure that you keep track of how you're responding to the training that you're doing, that you know, know what you have done and, and know what what happened, what result did you get. And then, then you change the experiment if it if it didn't work or you maybe double down on it if it, if it did work. Those are some some really great points. And uh, and I think you can, you, you can really, if you want to, you can find science to support any narrative you might have about your training philosophy. So that just goes to show that there's still so limited uh, information about the optimal training program. Uh, I had uh, Dr. Philip Larson on a, a few weeks ago, and we kind of went down that route a little bit. Not necessarily talking about the optimal training program, but uh, yeah, looking at looking at things in more detail at the muscular level. But um, 
yeah, it's it's way 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 uh, too early to to be able to make any such um, yeah su- such conclusions from the science that we have. So so I think at, yeah, the scientific mindset and uh, rather than thinking that you will find the the answers to your questions in any scientific paper is is the way to go. But then obviously you need to be informed by the science that is out there that can help you formulate your experiments more effectively. Yeah, yes, 100%. I mean, I, I've applied, you know, like there's there's obviously the famous one with, or say, I, I, I consider it famous, maybe it's not, but with, you know, Asyla's done the effects of four-minute intervals, eight-minute intervals, and 16-minute intervals, and, and, you know, who, and, and you know, it was like the eight-minute was found to be the best, et cetera. But that, like, if you look at that, there's there's outliers in those studies. You know, you look, it's not it's not everyone improved the exact same amount. One person in that study, I haven't, I haven't got, you know, I haven't got this hand, but in all these training studies, there's always a few people that don't, that aren't quite this and do and are outliers and don't respond the same way that everyone else does, and you do have to account for that and be aware of that. If I, like, when I've tried to follow some of those like I'm just different about like I'm more of a sprint based athlete as endurance athletes go. I'm not a sprint based athlete like Usain Bolt, but as endurance athletes go, I'm more of a sprint based athlete. I've got like a 1600 watt kind of sprint and stuff. I do, I do not adapt the same way that John Archibald, who is a super slow twitch diesel engine adapts to training. Like I, I mentally and physically cannot do the session the same way that he does. Um, or the way that he trains, like, and you, and you have to take that into account, you know, that, that a lot of these studies, you know, are based on, you know, like a lot, you know, then it's not, it's, there's, sorry, I'm losing my words here. This di- the people that are in those studies aren't always you. It's not, you know, that study's not been done for you. I think look at the studies on papers that do, you know, it, that are looking at case studies on what do other athletes do and try and apply that, try and use that. But if it doesn't work, then try something else because there are, there are different ways of doing things and there's different stimuluses that work for different people. And I, I can't, like, I found as a coach, I cannot apply the same thing to everyone. And I've been there, like, in my past, you know, when I was you know, still kind of coming up, I've been coaching for 10 years, but I'm still only 30. So, I, you know, it's still been a learning curve as I've been on the way up. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not at the top now. Any coach is still always learning. Everyone's still always learning. And, um, I've made the mistake of, you know, of, of going, you know, I don't care that you think this works really well for you. The paper, the, the scientific paper says that, th- that this is what you should be doing and we should be, de- we should be applying this stimulus to you or according to silo, you know, we need to be like knocking that interval session off and just do these two sessions a week instead, because that's loads better for you. Um, and it doesn't work for everyone. Some people, it does. Some people go, Oh yeah, since I started doing that game changer. Great. Brilliant. You've, you are, you are, you're obviously one of the same people in this case study. But for other people, it doesn't work, and yeah, and, and you have to kind of take that into account, and you have to make sure you are, like I say, you are problem solving and optimizing for that individual person, and, and seeing what works well for you. And one hundred percent, you use the science, apply the science, see what see what you know, have a look at you know what, what intervals maybe work best. You know, like to batter intervals like super popular, loads of research on them. Integrate them into training, brilliant. They're a fantastic session. But if it doesn't work for you, then you can't just sit there and keep hammering yourself with a certain effort that does not work for you as much as anything like you might just not like the session yet like you have to take that as a coach i have to take that into account if someone says to me i hate this session i dread doing this session sometimes i know it's a great session i know that if they did it and they got it done that all my other athletes respond really well from it and it's i respond well from it it's great you know certain sessions just work just tick a load of boxes work really well when they're applied at the right time some athletes just don't like them they don't like them you, like, you can't just keep hammering you know you, you don't want to, you, you can't you need happy athletes 
you need to be a happy athlete yourself. You can't just be miserable all the time doing stuff that you don't like to do. Um, if you do that, you know, you're, you're just on the road to burnout. So yeah, applying the science in a way that works well for you, that works for you and your specific circumstances. Yeah. I think that, uh, a happy athlete, that's almost like it's as fundamental as, you know, you do need to sleep to be able to adapt to any stimulus. You do need to eat to adapt to any stimulus. And, and I think you could, you could argue that the same is true. Although I don't think that we, we can't quite say that with the same scientific rigor because it's difficult to study that. But, but I, I think the same applies that you do need to be, uh, be happy overall, at least not, not necessarily that every day is, uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but, but, but overall you need to be happy with your training and believe in your training to, to adapt to the training program. Yeah, I feel really bad that I've come on the scientific triathlon podcast and that I'm talking about stuff that's not. Oh that no, this is no worries. It's, 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 it's that triathlon show. It's not the scientific triathlon. Oh, sorry, I'm not, that's, <laughs> that's, that's why then I'm misinterpreting it. Sorry, that's my dyslexia. Yeah. Well. I'm, I'm, I'm sat here. I'm, I'm literally sat here at my desk. I've got like papers sat here. I've got books sat here. Like I'm into my science. Like I, I love this stuff. But from a coaching perspective, you have to understand that, that, that there's other things. And, and you know, like I had an athlete um, who won the West Midlands Regional Championships yesterday. Like, I, I think that's a great event. I've won that before. I'm dead proud of winning the West. I was dead proud when I won the West Midlands Championships. It's not the be all and end all in cycling, but it's you know, it's it's cool. I, I, I in the British in the, in the history of like British cycling, the the winner of the regional championships is always a cool little thing to do. Um, and is what I, and the difference between this year and other years is, is the guy's just happy at the moment. Like his team last year didn't make him happy. Like they kind of gave him equipment that they didn't want to use. They were like just a bit like bullish in the group chat and didn't didn't respect him well or treat him well enough. And the difference between this year and last year is he's just happier. Like his training's not like a million times better. Like it's like he's still it's not all perfect. He still misses a few sessions. He still feels tired at times and doesn't always get it done. You know, like he's not he's not a perfect athlete. No one is. But the biggest difference between this year and last year is he's a lot happier this year through other circumstances and other things. It's not always to do with training. It's to do with relationships. It can be do with financial issues. Like, and you know, you can't control that. You can't just say, I'm going to be happier now because like, I'm going to just wipe off on my debt and be happy. But you have to factor in that, you know, if you've got life stress and you've got other things that it's going to be hard to perform and that that's a big part of it is you need to be trying to like make sure that you're in a circumstance that, you are as happy as possible through you enjoy your sessions. You've got friends to train with. You're doing races that you want to do or you enjoy doing. You're not kind of forcing yourself there. Um, and, and you'll perform a lot better through that way. You know, I say there's only so many things you can control. You can't just control. Oh, I'm going to be like really happy in my current relationship or whatever. Like not everyone has that opportunity. Some people aren't, you know, don't have that, but like it's a case of you know, like, if, if stuff's not going, if you've got bad stuff going on in your life and, and, and stuff's not going well, unfortunately, like you can use, sport as an outlet but you can't always expect to perform off the back of it again i had an, an issue last year where i had like a close friend pass and yeah like training racing just that was it like that like that yeah guess what i did not race well at the end of last year like these things have a stress on you they, they place a lot on you um and you have to factor that in when it's not going well um and you and you have to just try and take control of what the things you can do of in, you know when you can enjoy yourself Take advantage of that. Enjoy that. And when there is the chance, when there is the opportunity for like almost happiness, choose it. And I think like a lot of athletes almost, again, the same with my athletes, I maybe don't always do the best job of making sure they realize that, that that's what I'm pushing for them. You know, I will have people say, oh, like, actually, am I, am I okay to go mountain biking with my friends on Saturday? I'm like, yeah, of course you are. Like, 
you know, like it's not about just like absolutely killing yourself to this super strict training program. Like, is it a hundred percent optimal to go mountain biking rather than do the four times eight minute efforts? Uh, probably not from a physiological perspective, but in the big picture with everything else that's going on, there's more gains for you, like seeing your friends and enjoying yourself and making sure you're happy on the bike. You'll get more out of it than just optimizing every little last session and stuff. And I just think that's, it's something that I've forgotten as well. It's something that I like as an athlete, I've le- I learned that as well, that, you know, there were group runs that I should have gone on. I should have trained with friends. I should have trained with. I'd have enjoyed cycling a lot more at times. Instead, I've gone out and I've tried to do intervals and I've tried, you know, I'm doing this, I'm being strict. And you end up then becoming less consistent because just cycling or sport, whatever it is, feels like almost more torturous. And then, you know, you do have days that you wake up and you can't be arsed. You don't want to train or, you know, you eat like crap because you're not in a good mind space. And you almost realise that I've done this to myself. If I'd have just consistently gone out and done the Tuesday night club run instead, some of my mates, that might have been enough to just keep me like happy and loving it and still hungry for the sport, um, rather than trying to always absolutely optimise everything. That's not, that's not to say there's not a place for intervals. Like, if, I'm being, if you're being coached by me, you can't just go off plan every day of the week to go and be happy and say, I'm going to the cinema instead. Like, that, you know, you can't. There's, a, there's a fine balance. I just think as, as endurance athletes, it's a hard sport and you have to make sure that there's that level of enjoyment there as well when, when the option is available. Yeah, I think I think you made a, a good point when we chatted off air about uh, the sub seven mm-hmm. and uh, in well in relation to that anyway, how yeah, Alistair Brownlee and the the how the, the Leeds Triathlon Center has now come to be this hub of triathlon in England, where you have some of the best athletes and how they kind of push each other, train with each other, and uh, and and how if you you mentioned that if you had had that sort of group environment when uh in in your earlier days maybe 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 that would have made a difference in development as well and uh but but also how how does how do you think that that relates to age groupers and yeah just going out and doing some training with their mates every once in a while or finding a regular swim group or or chain gang or something that just makes you train with others every once in a while and benefit from that group effect yeah, so so that to kind of give people a bit of context, that like the chat offline, like literally all we said was that I got the opportunity early season through um, Hoob. To, I was on the investors camp, so I literally spend a week with the Brownleys in the south of Spain, and basically what their group were doing there, and it just really opened my, you know, like I always have, you know, everyone has massive respect for these guys and these girls. They're, they're training mad hours, they're doing you know up early for swims, then doing runs, then bike, you know, like it's 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 a real hard knit training group. There's no there's no there's no messing about there. But it equally made me realise how much easier that is to do when you're with your friends. You know, they would swim in the morning, but they'd have Booker on the side. who was like, you know, not only is he giving them splits, not only is he giving them a good session, not only are they their mates. He's there, like, getting them pumped. He's there, you know, come on, mate, get in, you know, last effort, last rep. You know, if you're there in a, in a public pool at 6am, knowing that you've got work to come after that, it's it's not it's not easy. And I think people need to give themselves a break sometimes. These athletes can do these 30-hour weeks, which is massively respectful, but it's, it's definitely easier if you're with a group and a coach that's you know, almost cheering you on. And they come out of the swim, and then they have a coffee, they have a croissant, you know, just like normal people, they get to enjoy themselves. It's not then racing off to go and pick the kids up. It definitely makes training so much easier. And I spoke to another guy the other day, um, Max Max Sapley, who's a um, really good Australian triathlete, and he just says, yeah, since he's been in Leeds, I, 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 he doesn't think he's trained by himself once. Because he's just got really good runners to run with, really good swimmers, cyclists. He just gets trained by himself all the time, and gets trained with like with friends all the time. And I, I rode with him on Saturday, and yeah, like you always forget that I, I, I wasn't really looking at my watch. I just got, I went out and got a good ride in, and yeah, there was it, it was absolutely fine. I enjoyed it. Um, 
and you forget that you can, you can almost torture yourself going out and doing, um, you know, the super hard efforts by yourself or going out in the rain or, you know, like a long, like, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of it. I've done these, I've done four or five hour rides by myself and that's where the podcast came in useful, like listening to podcasts while riding along. And, but it, it I think it, it takes, it, it takes a lot out of you and, and, you know, and sometimes you fail it. Sometimes you go out and you do an hour, you get an hour in and it rains and you go back and you're like, oh, like, I'm, I'm mentally weak. I'm soft. I've only, I'm meant to be pro and I've only managed an hour and a half ride. Blah, blah, you know, and you, you start beating yourself up. You start feeling down about yourself. You start, you just think if that was with a group of mates, it would be so much easier. And like, okay, you might, that group of mates, you might have ridden 20 watts slower. You might have ridden, but the chances are you'd probably have gone out and you'd have got that ride done and you've enjoyed it and you'd have felt, you'd have felt kind of mentally refreshed from it. Whereas you kind of torture yourself by yourself and yeah, you, you, you might hit your numbers exactly on the dot. You might ride to exactly 210 watts like you're aiming to whereas you've got on the club run and yeah average is 190 and it's a bit messy and but if you enjoy that so much more and, and you know I, I mean go and like use that as well you know you might have a four-hour ride to do so you go right i'm going to do two hours in the club run enjoy it and then i'm going to go and do my own ride after but that makes it so much easier and that club run again it might be so optimal but if it's if you're you enjoying yourself it's what you want to do and it's you with your mates i think you can just get so much more from that and it's just definitely a mistake that i know as an athlete i've made of just being too harsh, too critical on myself, um, and not enjoying it enough. And it makes you know, everyone barks on that. Cons- everyone barks on that consistency, consistency, consistency. Like we all know that's super important. We all know that's what you need to do, but it's not easy. Like it's, it's uh, people talk about consistency as if it's this really easy thing to do. It's not. It's about also finding ways that make you want to be consistent. Having swim swim groups that are on a Wednesday night at this time, so you've got a target time to go there and know that you're going to. You know, like I, I've not, I can, I can, I can't tell you how many turbo sessions I've started and not finished. Like I, I hate it. I don't enjoy turbo in any way whatsoever. Just like from Zwift or whatever it is, I'm just not. For me, that just I need more mental stimulus than that. I just can't do it. Whereas swimming, which is classed as you know, people class swimming as boring typically. That that is what how a lot of people describe it. You know, you're just looking at the line down the middle of the lane. But as soon as I'm in there with a group of people. I don't think twice about getting out early. Like I think I've done once when I had a race or something, but I'm like, I'm, I, if I'm planning on doing the hour and a half or hour swim session, I'll do the full session because you're there with people, with a coach, with a plan. I just think that makes it so much easier. And I, I don't feel like that's, I don't, for me personally, I don't feel like that's a pain in any way going out and doing these swim sessions when I'm with a group. Whereas I swim by myself in the local leisure center and it just feels, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like endurance sport is tough. There's no, no way around it and these people that are look, have the luxury of having these groups to train with it's not that they're not tough but it's definitely easier for them and I think you know you can either so either try and find a way that facilitates it to be easier for you by having friends groups people you train with or if it's not going well just don't just don't beat yourself up over it because it's a hard sport and pro athletes from triathlon from cycling when they're by themselves they still all fail sessions as well. They don't get everything done. They don't get everything perfectly. And just remembering that and don't, worst thing you can do is after hard sessions, if you don't, if they don't go well, is beating yourself over it because that's when you kind of start to get on a road to yeah, not enjoying it, not enjoying the sport. And yeah, that's when life gets, it gets tough. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, those are, those are really great points. And uh, I think we have, I was going to ask if you could describe your overarching coaching philosophy, but I think we've touched on lots of points already that, that would play into that for sure. So, so maybe we go a bit more specific if we talk about training itself. Uh, and again, with all the things we discussed earlier, it is uh, individual and so on. But do you have any general things that you could point out to in how you, uh, how you tend to 
to program and prescribe training, maybe in terms of volume and intensity and, and so on, at least well, kind of starting points for then branching out into experiments from? Yeah, I mean, it's still all kind of, you know, individual differences. There's not a, there's not a set formula that I apply to anyone as such. Um, so the one thing I will say in terms of philosophy, like just, I also have, I do place a real importance on working on your limiting factor. So you mentioned it earlier in terms of if you're running in the top 25% aisle, biking the top 25% aisle, but you're swimming in the 70, bottom 75% aisle, then, okay, okay, I understand the swim's the hard one to work on. It's hard to take loads of time from it. But if that is the thing that is limiting you, then that's the thing that you potentially need to work on. And I, I'm very big on what is the thing that's stopping you from being successful. When you make this list, like it's, the easy, it's easy to describe in cycling terms. So the way I describe it with cycling is if you are a sprinter, if you can do 1,600, 1,700 watts, but you can't get to the end of the race to use those watts, which is this is this is me all over, then there's no point working on your sprint even more. People always say to me or assume to me, oh, you must do loads of sprint work. I'm like, no, I don't do any sprint work. I've never been limited by my ability to sprint. My, I, I say I've won UCI point HC races in a sprint, but I can't win national series because I wish it were in theory, in theory a low-level race but they're not, they're normally not, but it's because the issue is I can't get to the end of them to do my sprint. And so for me, I never work on sprinting because all that would do is I, I would win the Gruppetto sprint by even more, which is pointless. Like, so for me, it's always been a case of working on like the aerobic power threshold climbing. I'm not a climber. I don't want to be a good climber. I'm not trying to be a good climber. I'm trying to do enough to get over a climb so I can then do my sprint. Um, and like applying this kind of same idea, you know, if you're a cyclist or a, work on that thing that's limiting you and stopping you from being successful. That's what I've always placed, placed. That's the philosophy I'd still say I've placed the most importance on is what is your limiting factor? How do you isolate that? How do you improve that? And what can you do to like, yeah, get the most out of that? So you can then use your strengths because as I say, sprint, sprinting for 80th isn't important. I don't need to improve that. Um, so yeah. And then in terms of like, how, like, individual athletes what they should be doing what they shouldn't be doing um i, th- I think i don't want to, like like volume is definitely one that can be important I, I do always actually see that as being something that if people can get a bit more volume in full stop not all the time not so it's ruining your marriage not so you're losing sleep over it but let's say you have um you know you're a teacher like, so like i have a few teachers or coaches when they have half term we'll set them a bit more volume that does tend to work well. I do think around Christmas time, people doing the the festive 500, I think if you can only afford six to seven to eight hours a week normally, and you do get that opportunity to do 12 hours, 13 hours on the odd week, I do think there's a, I do think, I, I think athletes do find a benefit in that quite often. Um, but you know, it's a, it's only, you can only do as much as you can recover from. And that's what people forget. And you will have some listeners to this podcast who are like super intense, super like, you know, people that can train a lot. They can they have a wife, they have kids, they have everything else. They've got all these additional stresses. Um, but, and, and, they, and they can try and fit in these 18 hours a week like, or 15 hours a week, like even with everything else, they just, they just love training. The thing they have to consider is you also have to be able to recover from whatever you're doing. And they get to this point that, especially for you know your average person with with jobs and with other stresses is that for the more any extra training you do you all you can't just find an extra two hours a week you have to find the extra energy in the week to be able to recover from those extra two hours you do as well so that's definitely something that people need to remember and factor in it's not just a case of more time is better or more intensity is better it's 
more time and intensity that you can definitely recover recover and adapt from um that's that's just a super important part of it as well be, be, while applying any experiment of should i do more intervals or more time or more anything is can you afford to recover from it and adapt from it and, and again is that what is that what what limits you is that are you not is the reason you're not improving not because you're not training hard enough is it because you're not recovering enough which for some people it often will be if you're not sleeping enough then it's almost pointless doing more hours so you could like um, everyone could if they wanted to wake up an hour and a half earlier and do an hour before work every day there's, there's, there's that is physically possible there's time for everyone to do that but it just wouldn't work because it would just be the additional stress and the like you, you just wouldn't gain from it if that makes sense um so I, you know it's always a case for anyone that's like they listen to this it's on a pro athlete anything you're doing has to be balanced with the recovery and adaptation phase and just remembering that you've got those that balance yeah i think i think another thing that people can consider related to that as well is that your athletic age so how long have you been training for triathlon or cycling and and i think a lot of of course there are plenty of people that have been doing this for 10 20 30 years but also there is a very very large chunk of people that maybe are in their they're already quite uh, advanced perhaps because they have been doing good training for four or five years but four or five years in endurance sports is still a fairly short time and you probably have at least another four or five years of improvement in you even if you're 45 or 50 years old uh, potentially i mean everybody's individual but that's that's what i've seen that you can still keep improving e- even even at 50 if you if you're still only five years into the sport so so i think that it's not about i, I think an important consideration there is that you just have to uh, be a bit patient and uh, not try to do too much in in an attempt to improve a lot very quickly but do the right amount so that you keep improving slowly but slowly as Eliud Kipchoge would say and uh, and then yeah you you can gain you can keep gaining performance over all of those let's say 10 first 10 years in endurance sports that you have so i think that patience aspect is something that that quite often gets lost and and it's also difficult for us as coaches because athletes come to us and they expect and they should expect to see performance uh benefits from having a coach of course but uh it's it's a fine balance again there between okay how much uh how how, how much do you focus on short-term performance versus just doing the right amount so that you get some performance gains, but you also can sustain that over a long period of time. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought, like, I think this for most people, this is the this is the point that for after you've been training four or five years of well training, well, like you know, you are going to start to like not fully plateau, but the improve. You know, you're not going to get easy perform easy improvements. You're not going to see your threshold improving twenty watts each year anymore. And that's when it gets hard because you're still putting the same work you were in, you know, in your second year or third year, and you not you don't get the same rewards for it, and it's tough. That's and that this is the and this is the point that a lot of people struggle and go. You know, they they have that kind of first two to five years of you know, being really up for it, and then that's where it kind of starts to drop off a little bit, and they they either take a break from it or they sit back a little bit, and they say decide they've done what they're doing. But this is and. It's because it's that patience, and it's, I get it. It's, it's hard. Like I've just said that like, I've had the same thing. Like I've just gone through years of not seeing improvements, and it's really tough. And then it's been really nice going and swimming and running and seeing these improvements. Like that's what we. All, so, it, but it, yeah, you do need that patience to just kind of keep going, and and that's maybe where it is a case of making sure you have that enjoyment to be consistent. 
because the only way to do it is still be, is to still keep being consistent. We don't just you don't just start suddenly hammering things and getting risk getting injured. But you have to accept that yeah, you're going to get to a point that you have to fight a lot harder to get those five watts improvement than whereas before you just had to turn up and you'd get twenty watts improvement a year. Um, and that hundred percent, this is the hardest part. And then this is but equally that's the part that you need to just have that patience, have confidence in yourself, your coach, your plan, your goals, and just and kind of take it from there and just. Like maybe need to like rein it back a little bit and be realistic and say I can't improve as much as I used to, but you are still you've still got to work and try and improve. And as long as you're doing that, then that's kind of all that as coaches we can kind of ask for that you've still got a like a growth. I say growth mindset. That sounds really cheesy, but you're still trying to improve yourself and just having to accept that those goal those, those little bits you're working for now aren't going to give you the same rewards you got before. But the only way to improve is to keep taking those little steps forward and yeah, to, and to go with it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that I think would be really interesting to discuss, uh, again, piggybacking a bit of our discussion on the Sub-7 project, uh, is fatigue resistance. And uh, I mean, that's one of those things I think that, uh, yeah, you, you can still, you can be, imp- that's one of those things I think that that is improving year over year as you get more experience in endurance sports, even when you stop seeing your threshold go up or your VO2 max go up then that fatigue resistance can can still be improving which leads to better race performance depending on what your modality is of course but um what's your view on fatigue resistance and uh how how important it is and how to develop it yes there's been some really good studies um that show the difference between under 23 the top under 23 pros and senior pros and actually show that the 20 minute power or the threshold of what's per kilo over like those short distance or relatively short distances in a 20 minutes isn't that short um or maybe to triathletes it is to me it's not um is that there's not much of a difference between those two athletes and those two different groups when they're fresh the difference between the the current world tour pros and the developing of 23 is, is the fact that they can do it after 3000 kilojoules 4000 kilojoules whatever it is like that that's what really starts to set the pro riders apart it's not doing six watts per kilo normally it's doing six watts per kilo at the end of a tour de france stage two weeks into a race that's that's where that's what separates the best from the rest and it is that fatigue resistance um Obviously, part of that does come with age. You know, there's studies, um, like pretty old studies that have been out for a long time now, just, just showing the difference in pros comes from increased efficiency. Um, the Paula Ratcliffe studies from back in the day were they showed that um, Paula's VO2 max didn't really improve much after early 20s. And what it was was that her economy and efficiency, that's what improved all the way through up to her breaking marathon world records. And these are some of the things that, again, it's really hard for athletes to, to measure which makes it difficult to kind of keep your head on when training's not going well. Because if you're, let's say, let's say you're just doing 20 minute power test, let's say that's the modality your coach has chosen to set you power tests, that it will get to a point where that won't keep improving. But that doesn't mean that you're not improving the things that are making you better at triathlon. Like, because again, it's about you know, how you know, triathlon is. This is what, this is why Joe Skipper's so good. He's not the best 10K runner or fresh half marathon runner in the world. He's just amazing at just running a marathon at the end of an Ironman. That is what makes Joe Skipper good. He's good at do, at running while fatigued. Um, that's what makes him special. And again, if you'd be successful, the chances are that's what you need. You need to be running re- as well as you can while tired at the end of an event. It's not about how it's not about how well you run just a park run or how well you do a twenty minute test when you're fresh. It's about how well you do it when you're fatigued. Now these are super hard to measure, like other than in races, you know. They, you can do this with athletes. I, I do see this done, but it, it's quite messy. So I don't do much of it myself is you might set like a five minute power test at the start of a ride, 
do a three hour ride at you know middle of zone two upper zone two and then another five minute test at the end look at the drop off and then in theory through more training more training more training you do the test again and ideally that five minute drop off at the end isn't the same percentage you know you've dro- you've dropped off less and that is imp- that shows you've got an increased um fatigue resistance that's like that's one way that i've seen a few pro teams and a few pro athletes working on measuring this but that, that's not easy it's, it's super messy because obviously any th- we all know like a three-hour ride can be you can have cows run out in front of you, you can have to stop for 10 minutes or just punches and yeah it would kind of ruin it all it's quite hard to control you know temperature do, temperature do you drink enough do you eat enough blah, blah blah so it can get quite messy that way um but then in terms of how do you improve it it's like again there's not really right right or or wrongs i, I do think um muscular strength is pretty important and actually making sure your muscle is conditioned to that especially for aging athletes i think gym is really important and i think yes strength is strength is never a weakness it's a little, little expression but yeah I, I do think strength training is good for fatigue resistance and over geared work and you know like I, I i i am a fan of a long ride like I, I don't i don't feel the need to be like everyone doesn't need to push volume on the week this is a bit the opposite of what i've been saying because i told someone the other day that mate while we're getting your consistency back if you just need to ride 20 minutes on a night just to start being consistent again and just trying to get back in the flow of things and enjoying it just do 20 minutes that's fine but i i do have a i do have a real love for just on a sunday which is the day for most people maybe a saturday for some others i do like getting that one long ride in i do personally think that is really advantageous um I've seen some coaches suggest that it's not needed for because you know like in cyclists anyway. Oh, you only race for two hours, so you don't need to do a a a long ride. But for me, I think that's a really good way of increasing that fatigue resistance across anything. You know, even a twenty-five mile time trial, I think you've got that more fatigue resistant. I do think those super long rides that they do help. That it's and in terms of like like what is a what is a long ride for you? I think that's a case of how long can you go without kind of being absolutely boxed. You know, your heart rate going out of control. And remembering that you need to train well the next week. So for me, for me, that's like quite normally five five hours. I occasionally take up to a six hour ride for me, but I can do that and normally still train on a Tuesday because again, I've been give or take a pro for ten years. Your average person to do six hours on a Sunday is going to be boxed until Thursday, so that kind of defeats the point. Um, so it's it's kind of building that up as long as you can go. What, what, what do you see that the average person does? Is it three hours or four th- hours or two, two and a half hours? I think three. I think three to three and a half is is quite manageable if you do everything else right. So you need to fuel properly. If you do three hours and if you do three and a half hours grippy and you only have two Mars bars and a bit of water, then yeah, you'll feel boxed from that, and that won't be very helpful. Um, it, the, long, the long ride is also a great opportunity to practice race day nutrition. So if I do, so I did a, I did a seven hour ride of the day, first time I've done one of these in years. Um, but to make sure I didn't, it, to make sure the last two hours weren't horrific, I just did full race day nutrition to practice it. So I did 100 grams an hour for the full ride, which does mean literally having like, I'm, I've almost got panniers on my, on my, uh, on my, on my bike to make sure there's a, enough fuel for me kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a lot to carry. It's not easy. Um, but if you're fully prepared to do that, then if you're fully prepared to do it, then actually it's a really good way to practice your race nutrition because I mentioned it earlier that the guys had done a hundred grams per hour, uh, in the sub seven attempt. And I actually heard that some of the pro athletes were doing actually quite a good chunk more than that, but you can't do that off the bat. That, that's me. You have to train as well. You train like this is a completely different study, you know, a completely different tangent but you have to train that so actually if you are going to be doing some long you know three like three and a half four hour we're going to do some five hour rides 
I do think there's a use. I think there's a place for them if you can recover. But one thing that will really help that is if you you do fuel properly for them. So you are taking on sixty to ninety grams of carbs an hour. Like experiment with more towards the end. Like don't do this off the bat. If you've never done this before, don't try and do five hours at hundred grams an hour because you'll feel terrible off it. But build yourself up to it. You know, like there could just be like one one of the hours in that four hour ride could be a hundred grams, and the rest could be like sixty grams. Um, build yourself up to it. But I do. I think. A lot, I got a lot of that. I got a lot of feedback from athletes that actually, when I do long rides fully fueled, it's an absolute game changer. And I, it was for me when we first ever started doing this, like four years ago. I think we um, we were one of the first. We were sponsored by one of the first nutrition companies that went in with this super high um, carb mix. That was the biggest thing. It made me. It made me realize that actually, a lot of when you feel naff at the end of a four or five hour ride it's actually a lot of it's not actually muscle damage a lot of it is just the fact that you have just not eaten enough and you are just so depleted um so this isn't i wouldn't do this for every ride but yeah if you're going to do some longer rides you can all it's it, there's double whammy here you'll increase increase your fatigue resistance you're getting yourself mentally prepared to be able to do exercise for five hours because that's how long you know your half iron man may be or you know at least a good chunk towards how long an iron man is and you can then practice your actual fueling and practice like doing it, like getting this mass amount of carbs in because there's one thing practicing 100 grams an hour for one hour. There's another thing practicing 100 grams of carbs an hour for four hours. It's like, it's a, it's a lot of food to take on and that, that itself takes a lot of training. You can't just do that. Do not just suddenly decide to do that in training one day. Build yourself up and see what works for you and how much you can take on before you start to potentially get issues and start to like, have yeah, a few kind of setbacks with that. Yeah, no, great. And uh, just a quick follow-up. You mentioned uh, in passing doing overgear work uh, a bit for fatigue resistance. So what 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 would an overgear session look like for you or what, what what would you typically prescribe there? So there's a lot of debate around this. There's like this um, there's, and there's a few ways of doing it and a lot of the people's ideas kind of can conflict with each other. Uh, again, I actually, a little bit of this, there's not a right or wrong answer. So I do leave this to leave this up to athletes to slip i play with a few different ways of doing this and i do see which athletes report back as to what works best for them so initially i like actually super high torque so 30 like 30 second i kind of do as a bit of a preliminary like almost gym workout on the bike so 30 seconds huge gear all out that takes a bit that that's in place of gym if you kind of can't have don't have access to gym um that requires building up to and being safe doing that don't again that's not a session that if you've never done that before you can put your back out you can pull your handlebars you need to be careful doing that but that's max like real maximal kind of muscle recruitment that's one i do like to kind of set again kind of with people that can't access gym so much the other ones i then like to do are kind of building two to two to five minutes like 50 rpm upper zone four like as high as you can go again really pressing the pedals for that amount of time um but again, it needs to be like 50 RPM is, is that super low cadence that feels 50 is a lot worse than 70. Um, but I, again, all they, these things do need to feel in my opinion, anyway, they need to feel relatively maximal when doing this. It can't be just completely chill that like you can't, yeah, I'm not a fan of the completely chill way of doing it. Um, I do feel that anything muscular, you need to be really stressing the muscles to get that adaptation. Um, you know, and you like you do that to be the sessions being super hard or super long. Um, and then the other way of doing it, and again, I'm, I don't want to. I know this is what a lot of other coaches do, so I'm, I'm not as opposed to this. Is they actually do a load of time, say like in kind of zone three sub threshold, do sub threshold over gear. I know like Sebastian Webb is a fan of this, and the idea of this, from my understanding, is that you're working um, in a torque that's 
above threshold. It's like above threshold torque, if that makes sense. So because you're doing it at 70 RPM, but say middle of zone three, it's the same push on the pedals as if you were like upper zone four, above threshold zone five, but you're still working in a really aerobic way because you're just in the middle of, say zone three, this is like zone three and a five zone model. So zone two on a kind of between, below lactate two basically or lactate turn point or whatever the million things you want to call it are. Um, working below that point but at a big cadence so you're breathing your aerobic system is fully aerobic you're not kind of building lactate but your muscles you're stressing them out as if you're at a much higher power in theory than recruiting your fast twitch muscle fibers and your and, and these but in a super aerobic environment you're not kind of recruiting them when when, when when you know when all hell's breaking loose and you're above um that second break point and yeah always going peak tong you're in like a nice chilled environment that that's their kind of rationale on it um for some people, I've seen that's worked really well. I know that's what Sebastian Weber says. Uh, Tony works really well with like, Tony Martin and stuff and what he's done with him before. I know a few triathlon coaches that set that. Um, I don't, that's not what I set all the time, but I do know it works well for some people. I'll play with it. And it, again, I, different people have this different response. And I think you have to be prepared to, to play with that. And I have some athletes that say this work, I feel that I tangibly feel the gains from that session. Um, so if they do, then we roll with it and we maximize it and we get the most out of it. And, yeah, and and you know, again, like going back all to all these different points that I keep reiterating, like an athlete's got to have a lot of belief in what they're doing. And if they physically go, I feel the gains from that, then that's telling me they've got a lot of belief in it, and that would definitely help them adapt. If an athlete doing a session that they do not believe in, they do not want to be doing it, they think it's pointless, then they they won't adapt. Like you, it sounds stupid, but you can almost choose to not adapt from sessions. From what I've seen and from what i've what i've done myself i know the session where i've gone that's rubbish and yeah guess what i didn't adapt from it um it's especially a case of a lot of I mean, like not not a lot of athletes but obviously we're a lot more aware of mental health at the moment and kind of kind of depression and and those kind of things and that's that's this again i've gone well off a tangent here but i do find like I, I'm, I'm not saying i'm depressed i'm not saying that but everyone i think a lot of us have the you know we, we, we go through times in lives that we just feel a bit down or a bit sad like i say at the past my mate last year or whatever i think when you're in that mode it's really hard to kind of get adaptation i i, I mean i did it last year and i was in i was in really i was in a bit of a bad place i was annoyed that covid had kind of ruined my year again after i'd spent all year in spain um i couldn't get my head into the idea that racing was going to happen again i'd got really down about it and I was still training. I was still doing like 13 hours ticking over, but in my head, I'd kind of, dis- I'd kind of checked out. So I was going, I was training, I was pushing the numbers. I do doing hard, but in my head, I'd checked out this idea that I'm not going to race. These train, this training doesn't matter because racing's not going to happen. COVID's got in the way again. This is rubbish, blah, blah, blah. I was just in a bad place with it. And on, I went like crap. Like I went on team camp and I was so bad. Like I piled weight, like I piled weight. And I put like three kilos on after eating the same as, as I'd always eaten and like my power dropped off an absolute cliff even though I was doing the exact same stimulus I'd done loads of times and not lost any fitness off if anything I've gained fitness off doing the same training but I was in a mental place before that I adapted from it and this time I was in a mental place where I didn't adapt from it and I genuinely like I, the power of the brain I think is pretty strong in that sense and I think if someone's doing an overgeared session, they feel works for them and they feel real gains from it. I think they, I think you can almost force yourself to create these gains and get the stimulus. I think if you're in a strength session that you feel is rubbish and just hurts your knees, then I think you can choose to almost not adapt from that session as well. So there's a definite athletes have to believe in what they're doing. And I think that's where communication between coaches is also important because if you know there's a session that definitely works for athletes, 
then you have to kind of sell sell the dream of this is a session that works. This is why it's doing this, 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 and this, and get the belief. And if you can't do that, then you've kind of it's almost not worth setting the session because if an athlete doesn't want to do it, they just yeah they just even if they, even if they do, they won't be fully switched onto it, and they just won't get the same gains, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, no, I think you make a great point there. That the, and I've seen the same thing that there are different coaches and athletes have done anything from long twenty, thirty minute zone three intervals at at a relatively high torque uh, compared to the thirty second all out torque and and everything in between, obviously. And and you see successful coaches and athletes doing doing all of them. So who's to say which if there is an ideal one or optimal one? Uh, it makes sense that. Yes, you maybe you experiment a bit with the athlete or what the athlete feels works the best for them. Like that sounds sounds like a good good approach to me because I I don't know that anybody can say with any certainty that this uh, this way of doing it is definitely better than than another. I don't think that the evidence for that exists. Um, and uh, and then we talked about volume a bit already. What what about intensity? How how do you factor intensity into into your coaching? um uh it's 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 a, as a coach at the moment with podcasts and journals and it's an app and polarized versus non-polarized and uh, it's, it's a nightmare like it, it, it's really hard to like be like so am i right am i wrong I'll be, have i been setting training wrong all along because it's not the same as this uh, it's it's yeah if, if, if you're a listener listening to this and thinking i get proper confused by this as a coach it's even worse because we read even more on it and have even more opposing views on, on what you should or shouldn't be doing um Again, so I would say, as a base, as a as a basis, uh, I you know I'm kind of I'm probably looking at kind of two interval sessions a week. The rest mostly volume is a bog standard kind of you know you've got five days a week that you're training. You could do intervals Tuesday, intervals Thursday, easy Wednesday, then like longer stuff on a kind of Saturday Sunday. Maybe I'll make the Saturday in when I'm in race season. That will be then be intervals. When it's in the weekend, it will just like in the weekend in the in the winter. Sorry, it then may just still be a long ride. That's like a completely basic like the top of my head kind of how a week may look that's maybe what i'll start with and then obviously we'll go from there as to what do athletes need some respond well off three hard sessions a week some off two hard sessions a week some off you know like again it depends where you want to sit on your kind of polarized debate um you know like i, I do think there's a place for that changing as well and not being not being super strict on whatever you think like it's just it's too easy to say it's too easy to have this blueprint of this is what works and it doesn't you know it may be a place of pyramidal works well for a bit then polarized works well for a bit and then come race week we actually just smash load of back-to-back intervals um just to like really fine tune you up or you know like there's, there's different things that work for different people um i think just being prepared to play with that and being prepared to have that scientific mind is really important as a basis as a starting point yeah two hard sessions a week is is probably not a bad point to go from um and then kind of go from there and it might be that your third session a week is that is you know is then in, in is then in that middle zone so you might do your two hard sessions are kind of you know like hard above above you know um above what i call something happens to rather than joining with a debate of whether you call it mls or vt2 or yeah all the different names that are pain in the ass even even though all those names aren't the same thing critical power is the one i actually use personally but um yeah so i'll do sessions above or stimulating kind of above that for the you know, maybe the two sessions a week and then you might choose the saturday is then that sort of threshold stuff or that you know in that kind of lactate clearance um 
and then and you, and you, you might maybe choose that's when you're going to do your overgeared stuff. But you know, like it's again, it's like tempo training is a great example of some athletes love it, some athletes hate it. Like I've always been quite a big proponent of it's a grey zone, and I'm not a massive fan of of putting stuff there. I think once you get to about ninety percent of threshold or CP, then you're kind of looking at lactate clearance. I think it becomes of use again. But I think for me, the middle of tempo, I don't put I don't put much in that zone there. But for some people, that works really well. I, I know, like some, like it was you know, these people that read lots of research, super scientific, and they love, they love that. Like I know that, yeah. So I know world tour riders spend a lot of time there. That's not, they're not always the best people to copy with stuff, um, for various reasons. But yeah, I, it it does depend on you and being prepared to play with a week that works that works best for how you seem to adapt, how you seem to respond, and being prepared to change that and play with that. And if you want to put in a polarized approach, great, but it, it, it can be changed. It can be moved. Like, you know, I, I, I met, uh, I met Stephen out in Norway when we were working with Uno X and like, like he's still like, you know, it, it's not, you know, on a podcast and stuff, he obviously has to, he has to be, you know, like, you know, this is, he explains it in like you know, a really good way. And he's, you know, he's brilliant to listen to on these things. But obviously, like he's still fully aware there's caveats, and it's not it's not a golden rule. It's not this has to be like, even if so. Even if you do decide I'm polarized, that's the approach I'm taking. I'm this eighty twenty approach. He's still fully aware that's not set in stone. That's not absolute gospel. If you suddenly do one week where you do three sessions, the whole year's gone to pot. Like you know, there's times and places for everything, and you know, he's more than a smart enough bloke. He's fully aware of that. Like you know, everyone's aware there's caveats to all these different things and all these different approaches, and try to not get so in the weeds of why you should be doing exactly this one specific type of training. Um, I think that's quite important to have that kind of approach that it's not just one one size fits all. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, One variable that I think is quite important there is, well, how much time does the athlete have to train? So if, if you have an athlete that has two hours to do on the Tuesday and the Thursday when you set the intervals, then you have plenty of room to play with that session to, to add tempo and threshold work and make it an effective session but if they only have one hour then you're, you're kind of constrained by that and then maybe it makes more sense to have more high intensity intervals there because you might not be able to get in enough of that tempo work or threshold work to to make it quite as effective so so it's not necessarily that one approach is better than another it's yeah there are so many factors and that time example is just one one of many variables to consider yeah, and I think I think we we you know, and I as coaches we forget that you know some people can be super serious about their sport. They could be listening to this podcast and they love triathlon and they love the training behind it, but they might only have thirty minutes. And in which case, if you only have thirty minutes, then like there's a, there's a place for just smashing out that thirty minutes and just getting some tobacco intervals in or a Zwift race in. And you know if that's all you've got, you know a few times a week, and then you can just get your longer ride in. You have to still make what what works best for you. And it's definitely something that I probably get not carried away with, but if someone presents me with the opportunity to set them an hour and a half after work, then I'll take it. Like, yeah, great. That'll be really, that'll be, that's perfect. If you can do that, but that's not everyone. And yeah, and it's only perfect if you can fit it in with your life and recover from it and still take the dog a walk. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. If that's really stressful to squeeze that in and there's people that can only do half an hour and or 20, like 20 minutes. If, if that's all you can do, that's all you can do. If you can, if you've got 20 minutes on your work hour um, and that's all that you can fit in, then just you like, it, it, you're not you shouldn't be trying to train the exact way the kenyan trains or um alistair brownley trains if you've got, got 20 minute windows you know it should be a bit different it should be and there's not you know there's not loads of studies on the effects of someone that's got 20 minutes to train a day um 
So because the studies aren't there, then you 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 just you do the study yourself. You do the effects of what can like what is the best training for Joe Bloggs like during the winter when he's got then that's all he's got. Um, and I say just keep applying that mindset that you're applying these different stimulus and. It's not easy because, again, a great another great saying is you're never walking into the same stream twice. And you know what may work one time, you know, an eight week block of Tabata intervals may work great the first time you do it, and the second time it may be completely different because you'd already done a, a high intensity block before it, or you'd done a tempo block before it, or whatever it was. So it's it's a constant minefield, and don't think that anybody out there knows the exact right thing to be doing for anybody because they don't. I think that's also a massive part of it. There's you listen to all these experts and read all these books and you're just like, it can be a minefield of thinking like, what is the right thing to be doing then? And the answer is no one knows. No one, there is not, if, if everyone, if, if that was, if that was a magic formula out there, someone would just, someone would, be, would just sell it and then we'd order the same training and they'd be making millions and everyone else would be out of a job. No one knows what they're doing. Like it's always, it's always a case of applying I like them, the best thinking that, with the science that is the current, like, you know, the current approach or the current consensus, applying that and trying to work it for you. But that can change, you know, like, like we see science changes. It's, it's, it's not, it's not fixed. Science is only ever, you know, I think it was the, the, the show when someone said, it's just the best accepted view at the time of whatever we believe. And you're just applying that to you the best you can. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah, we are getting towards the end of the interview. I'm just going to ask you one more question before the rapid fire ones. And uh, well, uh, I already in my head uh, decided that we'll split this interview into two episodes just uh, so we don't have a two two and a half hour uh, episode or two hour episode. But anyway, I do want to touch on the role of the the coach athlete relationship. And uh, yeah, how what's your thoughts on that as as a coach how how do you develop a good coach athlete relationship what what is the uh, what is the relevance and importance of that yeah so a, a massive part of this is just empathy and i think that is ultimately where any coach that's got a bit more experience in sport or has spent years in sport or has spent years failing in sport one way or another like i think it can really help um you know i it's you know it's common you know the best athletes don't always make the best coaches because the best athletes are the ones that just whatever they do they respond they go to races they win races they don't get setbacks or they don't have many setbacks whereas yeah I've been I've been dropped in a lot more races than the than races I've won um you know like it's it, it, I think it really helps to understand that to understand when an athlete is feeling down and not happy or not enjoying it and has been spat at the Sunday race that you've been there, you've done that. You don't just suddenly go, oh, but did you do all your intervals this week? Did you do your openers properly? Well, how was your warm-up? You know, like, actually, you know, like actually understanding where their mental state is at the time and saying, you know, like, okay, I understand where you're at. I know this is crap. We're going to just relax tonight, you know, chill, go back, have a glass of wine or just, you know, because I've, I've, you know, I've been there. So it's, it's, it's easy to empathize when you've been in the same experience. I, I've been to, I've driven four hours up to a race, got spat in the first 10 K driven back at a Burger King, then felt like an even worse person. Cause not only have I been spat, I've also had a Burger King that I shouldn't have had. And I, you know, like your heads go in and you're like, Oh, I'm such an awful athlete. I'm an awful human being. And understanding that that's, you know, the athletes are emotional athletes. That's the way they are. You know, they're, men female like it doesn't matter like you know we have this emotion we all put so much into this sport it's not it's not an easy it's it's not an easy sport it's not like i mean no sport's easy but we know we do know there's team sports where you can turn up to your training session on a 
midweek and then you play your game on your Sunday. And if the game goes badly, well, there's 11 of you to blame or 15 of you to blame, whichever sport you're playing. Whereas, you know, triathlon is, you know, you can spend hours a week, you know, hours a month, like has this big financial potential cost on you. And then you go to a race and you can go bad. It, it, it happens and it's, it's rubbish and it's an awful situation to be in. And I think make it as a coach, making sure you wonder that you're there for the bad stuff and really can help athletes get through that and have that empathy with the athletes. Because I think that's, yeah, dealing with the lows is almost more important than dealing with the highs in sport because there's in our sport and endurance sport, there's as many, there's more lows than there are highs. There's a lot of times that even if sessions go well, they're so tough. Um, and there's times that people are tired in the week. And yeah, I, I think making sure you can really understand those bad points because if, if you, if, if you can get through those points, that's when you'll be successful. It's, it's like as we said earlier in the podcast, it's not all sunshine and daisies. It won't all be sunshine and daisies. You're going to have to go through sessions that are bad. You're going to have to go through sessions that fail. You're going to do power tests that you've done less power than you did last time and you can't figure out why. And it's riding those waves out. And I think as a coach, making sure you understand that and you're not just treating these athletes as robots. And, you know, there's certain people on Twitter that kind of preach their views to athletes as if the athletes are robots are like, why aren't all the athletes need to do is be consistent. Just, just be consistent. It's easy. And it's like, we know consistency is important. We also know it's really hard because we have a lot of things going on in our lives. You know, like Western society is, it's intense at the moment. Like it's, maybe too intense you know if you live in inner city I, I i don't know how people can live in these inner cities and train and keep their lives together like i have huge respect for them i don't yeah, it's baffling to me how they can even do it and manage it um you know just telling that person oh just be consistent i was like oh, yeah great they know that like, oh just eat properly during the day and it's like yeah they know that but they haven't got time to make a caesar salad you know like they are gonna have to go to tesco for lunch or you know have a sandwich at times yep You'd be working on how do you facilitate that? How do you make that better? But you have to understand why they're currently doing whatever they're doing, educate them and what, try and work out a best way of kind of prioritizing and improving like whatever situation they're doing. Try and work out how they can improve the sleep, try and improve how they can work the training, whatever it is, you know, helping them as much as possible, but also understanding why they're kind of where they're currently at. Um, and not just, you know, we, like we all know it's, we all know how to eat healthy. We all know we should be sleeping eight hours a week. We all know what, what training we should be doing. Like to an extent it's, but it's, you know, a lot of it's how do you work on facilitating that when, you know, when there's a lot of barriers in the way and there's a lot of, you know, and trying to really understand how an athlete's got to where they're at with whatever it is. And just, in, or you, or you just on a constant path of progression. It's not a, you should be doing this. Why aren't you doing that? That's wrong. And just, yeah, it's about, how you're leading as an, as a coach all you're trying to do is facilitate that person being successful but it's there you know you're just giving them the tools to do it themselves teach them to use the tools it shouldn't be a dictatorship of you do this you do that you do the other like it's a kind of you're just helping guide them and give them the tools and educate them to what to how to do that so they can be successful themselves yeah i think that's uh fantastic uh it's all so true uh, the only thing i i can add to that really so i think uh, one one thing that i also see as important is uh, just reassuring the athlete that yeah when things are not perfect they're not the only one every for everybody else it's the exact same thing maybe if you're the absolute best in the world things can at some points be 
pretty perfect, but for most people, even at a very high level, uh, things come up, things go wrong. Uh, they have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad races, and uh, they stop to eat at Burger King and they sleep poorly, get three hours of sleep and need to go out and, out and do a session or need to skip the session, whatever it may be. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not that reassuring the athlete that they're not, uh, it's, it's nothing uncommon and it does happen and yeah just moving on and being okay with it i think is is really important in uh, on on that note yeah just just that we're all human we're not yeah and and just to be super super aware of that and i think it's just really really important yeah um okay well one one final question before the rapid fire questions uh if you can give one to three pieces of advice for the listeners uh, anything related to improving their performance what would that be no, oh, uh, <laughs> I covered so much stuff. Um, okay, I'll, get, I'll reiterate some of the stuff I've said earlier. I love the idea of you finish a race and you have this, what can I do differently? Um, and try and work that out. I think that's, I think that's super important. I think it's, I actually think it's fun to do, to actually sit there and what, you know, what can I do? To, you have to, you know, you have to be realistic. It's not just, oh, like you can't just write, I'm going to ride 50 watts harder next time. Like it has to be realistic, but anything you can do to kind of help improve your performance. I think it's great to just be on that path of improvement, however it can be. Because as I say, there's times that training is tough, so at least you can get a quicker tire. Um, is, is one thing you can do. Um, yeah, and then I think kind of, yeah, I think the yeah, another one's probably that, so I say that scientific mindset just in general is that, you know, you're trying to do, you know, you're, you're trying to do the best that, you know, you're trying to apply logic and science the best that you can for you for that given circumstance on that moment in time in place you know it's not uh it's not a one-size-fits-all it's a the best science to be applied for you as an individual um not just for like yeah just not just full stop um yeah i'm trying to think of a third one now <laughs> there's like so many things i've kind of touched on um yeah and just and not just trying again this is definitely a more recent one for myself because i did it and just really trying to not beat yourself up and and kind of stay in that positive mindset the best you can um which again isn't easy like it's, it's i'm not saying i oh, just choose to be happy like you can't just choose to be happy and loving every session and um, be great if we all could but you can't but so just try and control that the best you can like honestly i had like one of the best races i did in the last three years probably was a mountain bike race that on someone just put in the group chat there's a mountain bike race around the local park later tonight I just rocked up. I was, you know, I did it. I think I was, I was okay. It wasn't a mountain bike. It was a cyclocross race. It was a cyclocross race in the summer. I hadn't even got a cyclocross bike to do it on a mountain bike. There we go. It's not even a mountain bike race. And I just, it was just the local lads. And I just joined in and turned up on the night. I hadn't prepared for it. I hadn't trained for it. I just loved, I just, I just, honestly, I, I loved it. I had so much fun because it was just, you know, I wasn't good. I was just racing the guys that do the local club run and the chain gang. You know, we had, a, we had a real good battle and we'd go through this sand pit every lap. That I couldn't ride and I'd unclip and like make a tit of myself, but I, I, di- I didn't care. Um, so, you know, being prepared to do stuff that you want to do that kind of keeps you in that mindset and keeps you happy, I just think is, yeah, super. Like, when our sport is so hard and, you know, when we haven't got these training groups, we haven't got our coaches necessarily running with us every time and shouting at us and giving us this positive feedback that, you know, I do think we have to take it upon ourselves to try and make sure you know, you're in a good place, you're happy. And, and if that's calf stops or whatever it is, you know, like if, if that's what, if, if that helps you, then that helps you. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, now the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports? So I'll just go for, at the moment, I'm on uh, Skiba's uh, new book. I'm just reading it now. Scientific training for endurance athletes. Yeah, that's just I've, uh, that's my current one. So I'll, I'll just go for that because there's too many other good ones to name otherwise. Yeah, perfect. Uh, Phil Skiba, uh, past episode of the podcast. So I'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? <laughs> when i can getting into a good sleep routine is massively helpful i'd be lying if i said that i do that all the time i don't i do have an unhealthy sleeping pattern at times but when i get it right then it does really help and if i even the absolute bonus would be if i get nap if i could tie a nap into that then i'm on for a real winner but yeah i can't do that very often anymore but yeah trying to work out that sleep routine and then yeah if you somehow can even a nap which has been a while since i've tied that in that can definitely be massively helpful from at least for me anyway yeah and who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you um it's gonna yeah is i don't need to inflate his ego anymore and i've already spoke about him a lot on this but ultimately working with dan is as dan big and this is has been you know it, it, it is good because he having other people that are just in your group chat that are kind of on a similar journey and path to you of just constantly trying to improve things, constantly trying to make things better. Um, and you know, he goes out there and proves it, improves his theories and that gives you confidence to go out there and improve your stuff, improve your theories. And it's, you know, it's, it's that, you know, it's that same, same thing you have with sport. If, if your training partner starts going really well, you tend to go really well because you have the confidence in what they're doing and then gives you confidence in yourself. Um, so I do think that, with Dan, like, you know, in the, in his book, we talk about us being a bit of a yin and yang. I'm a lot more, he, he says I'm negative compared to him. I say I'm pragmatic. Um, but yeah, it's seen the success he's had in sport and the influence that he's had now with Ineos. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been good. It has been useful for me to kind of, yeah, give myself confidence that that's the kind of journey and direction that I can also go on through sport. And there's, there's not as many barriers holding us back as we maybe first believed. Yeah, yeah. And Dan Bigham is another past guest of the podcast, so I'll link to that as well. And uh, yeah, finally, Jacob, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for this uh, fantastic chat. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, where can people find out more about you and uh, learn more about you? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter just under my name, Jacob Tipper. And um, my coaching website is uh, Jacob Tipper JTPerformancecoaching.com, I think. Um, I didn't give it out very often. I'll- but I'll find it out. Uh, so yeah. It's there. It's there somewhere. If you if you if you Google it, it's, I'm hoping it comes up. <laughs> but uh, yeah. maybe not. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. Again, thank you so much. It's been great to chat with you, and hope to do it again another time. Yeah, great. Hopefully, it wasn't too long for everyone. And yeah, thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. I'll link to all of Jacob's uh, social media and website, of course, as well as to episodes and interviews I've done with Dan Bigham and uh, Dr. Philip Skiba. And Philip Skiba has been on twice in episodes 311 and 173. While you're there, if you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals, consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or checking out our training plans. Whether you're just getting started or you're a pro-level athlete, just contact us. We would love to have a discussion and see if we can help you.
Next Monday, we have Andy Blow from Precision Fuel and Hydration on the show to talk about the science and practice of using caffeine to enhance endurance performance. It's a great episode. The science uh, is pretty clear and straightforward, but the application, especially in triathlon and other long endurance events, is uh, a bit less so. So getting Andy on to talk about uh, the practical aspects of it and uh, what they see in data that they have collected with some of the world's best athletes is really, really fascinating. Big thanks finally to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, dry suits, swimskins, goggles, and sunglasses and prescription glasses. And use the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS to get 20% off your entire Roka order. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate swim trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and most importantly, your swim training consistency. And get 20% off your order on the swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on senatesimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And don't forget that it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks, send it back and you'll get a full refund. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.